0: We'll Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I do not have Brent on the line with me. I am flying solo besides my guest. Uh, Before we get to him, though, a quick word from our sponsors. So this episode is brought to you by Hammer Nutrition. Hammer Nutrition has been sponsoring me as an athlete for the last couple of years. They have the best endurance supplements in the world, hands down. Their drink, Perpetuum, is what I use for all my ultra-endurance obstacle course races, so fat-carb-protein blend. Uh, Their gels have amino acids in them, and you can get ones with caffeine or without caffeine. Awesome on that. And then even if you're not an endurance guy, they do have what I would consider like normal supplements. So they do have whey protein, which is just whey, right? Like when you look at the ingredients, there's nothing else in there. So that's really a great product. And then my other favorite product by them is REM caps. So it's like a natural sleep aid to help you sleep deeper. You know, if you're sleeping deeper and you're sleeping longer, it's going to spike your growth hormone and let you recover faster, which means you can put out harder work the next day and the next week in the gym. So definitely check that out. If you're looking for a discount, referral number 240887 gives you 15% off your order. And you can find that on my Facebook page or on the Strength and Speed website. All right, let's get into today's show. So joining me, I have one of my good friends from high school, Steve Mola. And he has been fighting on and off in armored combat or heavy combat for the last about 20 years. About three years ago, he started taking it seriously. And he's now in a worldwide organization, got top five in his first big tournament, and has also participated in things like a week-long you know, war in Pennsylvania called Pensick and won one of his biggest fights there. So, Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, hey, Thanks for having me.
0: So this is this is real exciting. So, you know, when I when I first told someone that you do this, they were like, "Oh, like LARPing," and I was like, "Yeah, but they like hit each other like super hard." <laughs> so, like before yeah. we get into it, explain what you know, armored combat or heavy combat or tan combat. You were saying, "Oh, they're all interchangeable." Explain what it yeah. is and explain what you're wearing.
1: Try to think of the easiest explanation. Um, so we do it's it's historical recreation and historical fighting, but it's sport combat. It's not uh, any reenactment in terms of staged. So we use rattan, which is like bamboo only solid. It has to be at least a quarter of an inch thick. Um, no, I mean it doesn't have a minimum length. If you're fighting a two handed weapon, it could be up to six feet, uh, and you're fighting full contact. There's no pulled shots, so it's like getting clubbed with the baseball bat is the the equivalent I could get if someone wants to get the idea of the force behind it. Um, Now, in terms of armor, we go back to early recorded history about the Roman period, uh, a little bit before that, up to about 1600. So you can recreate any armor from within that time period. Also with that, we have minimum requirements. You at least have to have a hardened material protecting your knees and elbows, uh, a full helm protecting your head, something protecting your neck, your um, uh, your spine, your kidneys, and your groin. As long as you're wearing that, you're technically considered le- list legal, uh, but you could be fully armored if you want. Me personally, I wear currently, um, any history nerds out there, 14th century armor, um, so it's... A coat of plates, but I removed a lot of the plates because I prefer to be light and maneuverable. So my kidneys are covered, my sternum and my spine. Uh, I have stainless steel elbow cops, uh, a light leather, they call it a van brace. It's what covers my forearms with uh, two strips of steel inside just for a little extra protection. Uh, the equivalent for my upper thighs and knees. And then I wear basically belt leather covering my shins. And then a full helmet with a bar grill for vision, and the grill can't be any more than I think half to three quarters of an inch from bar to bar. So that way, nothing can get through.
0: Gotcha. Now, how heavy is all this stuff when you're when you're wearing full, you know, your full get up there?
1: Mine, I have a relatively light kit because a lot of it's made from spring steel. So helmet aside, I would say maybe ten to fifteen pounds because I prefer to be light. There's people that will have a kit that can weigh as much as 40 pounds, and then the helmet's another 12 pounds on average.
0: Yeah, and you said some people are fully armored. So, is there anyone, like, in my mind, I'm picturing the knight, like the armor you see at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, like straight up, you know, metal plates overlapping each other head to toe? Yes. Are there people that wear re- that?
1: Plenty of people that wear that. Interesting. Yeah. I give them all the credit in the world because it's too much for me. Out there on a hot day, uh, 95 degrees, high humidity, you're about ready to pass out. Gotcha. So, how did
0: you, you know, you've been doing this on and off for about 20 years. How did you get involved in this in the first
1: place? Oh, um, well, I always loved medieval history. Uh, I'd always go to Renaissance fairs, medieval festivals. And one day back in October of 1996, I was at Sands Point Preserve. They had one there, uh, which is out in Long Island. Uh, it's a beautiful setting, castles overlooking Long Island Sound. And they everyone was just real friendly. And I said, hey, you know what? You could do this too. I was like, what, really? And uh 15-year-old kid thought it was the coolest thing in the world. My parents said, hey, go knock yourself out. And then it's become a pretty much lifelong thing just about ever since. Um, I was pretty solid to the end of high school, went to college, dropped out of it for a while, came back in my early 20s, dropped out again in my late 20s. And I was pretty solid up until about thirty, and then in real life just kind of gotten away in injuries. And then uh, I came back to it pretty solid three years ago, barring the few injuries I've had since then.
0: Yeah, and I probably should have started off with this, but give people like your height, weight, and kind of like because you're not like you're not a skinny dude. You're you're muscular and you're pretty tall. So what's your height, weight?
1: I'm um, six foot three. Currently, i slimmed down to only about two hundred and ten pounds.
0: Yeah. So like. So like you're you're not it's not like a it's not like a scrawny guy out there like swinging around like like you can put up some serious weight in the gym and like I know I I haven't trained with you in a long time but I remember back in the day you were you were putting up some serious weight so and I feel like yeah. you've only gotten bigger since the last time I worked out with you which was I can't even remember the last time
1: it was a long time yeah. ago we're <laughs> both <laughs> definitely still in our twenties
0: yes um, yeah. So, you know, full, full contact, you're hitting each other full force, and you mentioned you've had a string of injuries. Like, give, us, give the audience an example of some of the injuries either you've seen from other people or some of the injuries you've had and kind of how they came about.
1: And from this alone, um, three partially torn tendons in my left ankle, um, which put me out of it for a while because I've previously injured that ankle about nine times. Um, and that happened. I was locked up with my opponent, who, believe it or not, was actually bigger than me. Uh, I have to look up to him. He's, he's about six, seven. Uh, and we were bound up and I lost the battle and he stepped, stepped a certain way. went down, he stepped on me and just tore everything pretty good. Uh, and the other one recently, a couple of months ago, I got a pretty severe concussion. My helmet, I probably should have bought a new one sooner. So it was a bit my, my bad. And just over the day of fighting, uh, just sustained, sustained, sustained impact of the head, end up having a concussion. So, and I've also had a bunch of those over the course of my life. So, should have been more careful.
0: Yeah. So, someone I was trying to describe it to someone, and they're like, "Yeah, like larping." And I was like, "Well, like combine larp and then MMA, and then I think this is what it is." Is that a decent example?
1: A little less on the MMA but definitely not LARPing. Like LARPing, they use uh, a thin PVC pipe with some foam around it. And as hard as you want to hit...
0: If anyone's confused, live-action roleplay. Um, yes. So, yeah, keep think, going. Think the
1: movie role models. <laughs> uh, so, it's a fantasy world. No matter how hard you swing with that and how good your body mechanics are, you're never going to even, like, hurt someone. You might, might give them, like, a little red mark, but... That's about it and then also in that you can't target the head now in the game I do the guy who teaches me he was a Muay Thai kickboxer before so our style is very based on that so you deliver a sword strike like you're delivering a punch because after all the swords is an extension of your arm so it's that same you know you have the hip back and you, you clench your obliques you tighten the cord when you're coming forward and you're, that hip's cranking in you're driving with all the force of a punch um and then again, now you have a sword in your hand that's made of a 10. It weighs, my 20 swords weigh between three and four pounds. My practice sword probably weighs about four and a half, five and a half pounds. And then my um, my swords that I use for, for drills, aside from the, my regular combat practice, is probably close to seven pounds. Um, obviously, the extra strength and endurance that you're going to get out of that. So it's... Delivering with considerable force. Perfect example, I've dented in someone's 12-gauge stainless steel uh, leg armor, hitting them with my one of my tournament swords before. Um, so now some of the other differences is legal target area is from two inches above the knee and up, two inches above the wrist and up. So anywhere in the head, shoulders, arms, torso, leg, uh, that's in that zone as well as – Around but you can also strike in the groin. Uh,
0: that's not cool. You're
1: not a. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. I don't care about if you're wearing a cup. It's still pretty awful. You can't kick if you're fighting with a two handed weapon. You can grab your opponent's weapon and kind of like, like a light grapple. You can't really grab them, but that's what happened with uh, when I tore my ankle. He actually was fighting a pole arm, which is um, his is about seven feet long. Got a two-foot striking edge on the top of it, butt spike on the bottom, as well as a thrusting tip on the top for, for thrust kills. And, you know, he came in, stepped into me. I wasn't expecting it. He put his two-handed weapon behind my shield. So I fight typically sword and shield. And he just yanked me forward. And, I mean, he's got about 40 pounds on me and four inches of height and threw me like a ragdoll. But also came down, which is what caused me to tear my ankle. So some some light grappling, but I can't punch. So around your hand is a metal basket or a plastic uh, basket. Uh, like a high-density plastic so it doesn't shatter. You can't punch with that and you can't smash somebody with your shield in single combat. If it's in a melee, which is, you know, multiple people versus multiple people, um, you can shield the shield, make contact them to, to smash them back. You can use your shield to grab their shield and pull it out of the way if you want to hit them. Uh, with, you know, get get target area to the head or another part of the body. So there's some minor contact, but it's mostly contact from the weapon.
0: So how do they determine winner or loser? Like if I hit you in the arm, are you not allowed to use that arm or is it just like, ow, oh, that hurts? Okay, gotcha. So, yeah,
1: so, there's so like- if you're hitting in the, in the arms, you have to fight without that arm. You get hit in the leg. You have to drop to your knees and fight from your knees. A kill is the torso, the head, and the groin.
0: Gotcha. And is there judges there, or is it largely honor system with some judges around?
1: The, the second one's correct. Uh, so it's largely honor system with some judges. They call them marshals, they're there, they'll oversee a fight in the tournament or during the wars. If they see something that's questionable, they'll, they'll call a hold and they'll talk to the combatants about it. It does get very gray sometimes, because everyone, you're technically supposed to be calibrated to the same level, but everyone has their own idea of what an acceptable calibration is. So... Uh, You know, I'm technically a squire, so what my knight teaches me is that you always have extra in the tank. That if you need to hit them harder, you can. You hit hard enough so that most people are going to take it, you know, without an without a question. But there's always going to be that one or two that you just ratchet it up and give them that extra. And if you can't kill them, just excuse yourself from the fight. No need to get crazy about it.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, so not that much unlike OCR. I mean, on some of the courses, when we get back into the woods, there's obstacles, and sometimes there's no marshal back there. So it's largely on honor system back there, especially in if you do some of the ultra endurance ones, like the eight and 12 and 24 hour ones that are not huge events. Um, you get back mm-hmm. into the woods, and really, you know, I mean, you could theoretically just walk around the obstacles, and there'd be no one there to call you out, which is obviously not the appropriate move. Uh, you're kind of a douche yeah. if you do that, but
1: exactly yeah Oh, and then uh, I mean I'm sure it's the same in, in your community as with this that you know the people who blow it off and you kind of don't really associate with them and don't really take them seriously yeah so it's if you want to you want to be someone that has you know good reputation uh, and is in good standing if you want to be well received in the community as well as want to advance in the community
0: yeah and I think uh, some of those people will get away with it you know once or twice but they start building up a name for themselves and like you know, once yep. you kind of get involved, you start hearing murmurs of like, oh, this person he's known for cutting the course or whatever.
1: So, Exactly. Same thing.
0: Cool. So where do you perform and can people come and watch?
1: The group has public fairs from time to time. Um, it, it changes from um, depending on the location where you are, uh, if they do it year to year. Uh, but there's also a lot of private events. There's for each region, so like any other competition, it's split up into regions. We're split up into kingdoms for, uh, since we're trying to recreate history. Um, and in each kingdom, split up into a barony, a shire, what have you. And there's events every weekend. Uh, if you look at if you, the SCA, is the name of the group, Society for Creative Anachronism. Their website is the SCA.org, and then each kingdom will have their own, and then each kingdom will have their event listing page, and you'll see probably close to 50, 60 events over the course of the next three, four months. Um, some of them are open to the public, like one of the local ones that we do is there's a Viking festival down in South Brooklyn every year that we participate in, and then there's another medieval festival at Fort Tryon and the Cloisters up in the northern tip of Manhattan uh, that takes place, I think, every fall, um, and I'll occasionally participate in that one. Um. So yeah, there are some that's open to the public, and then there's an infinite more that are just private events for us.
0: Gotcha. Do they ever set it up a little more like? Yeah, I know. Like it's it's part of a whole uh, recreation there, but do they ever set it up a little more like a a boxing match or a mixed martial arts match where it's like two dudes in a ring and then everyone's just like sitting around watching them?
1: Or is it most yes? Okay. Um, the 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 heavy combat or armored combat. It's one of the beginnings of the origin of this group. This group is actually 51 years old now. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was uh, founded out in um, some Cal Berkeley students who I'm blanking on their names, but they were actually uh, went on to become hugely successful uh, sci-fi and fantasy writers. Marion Zimmerman Bradley was one of them, um, and I'm forgetting the other two. But uh, they wanted to dress up, recreate history, and then a bunch of them also started doing making rudimentary armor back then, and doing the uh, tournaments. And so it's become a very large focus of the organization. Um, so the tournaments will be uh, single limb, double limb. Uh, you'll fight in, in pools, and the weapons, the best fights speech pool, whatever it is. But they will be in an open area with the entire crowd watching. Um, it really is the tends to be the central focus of most of the events.
0: Yeah, I mean, two dudes hitting each other full contact is it's usually pretty entertaining to watch. So
1: yep, that's what drew me in. So, <laughs> all, right. <laughs>
0: all right, now when you're in like full-on training mode, you know what does that look like? Like, how many times are you doing? Like, how often are you doing strength training in the week? Are you doing cardio? You know, and what are you doing for sports-specific uh, practice?
1: So I have a different approach uh, than a lot of other people because. There's a handful of people out there in this that actually also weight train. Um, I'm more of an anomaly. It, it's mostly your average Joe that does this. Um, I feel that me doing my cardio and my, my weight training three days a week gives me an edge because I don't tire as easily um, besides having good body mechanics since I also have good functional strength, uh, I can deliver a more stout blow, you know a lot easier than most. Um, for this, if I'm with weight training, if I want to kind of increase my the the fast switch muscle fibers, I do a lot using the bands. Okay. So that way, I get that extra. It, it recreates a little more than getting that extra resistance as I come up. But I try to explode up, control on the way back down.
0: So you, you uh, bands with weights, not just bands. Yes. Okay.
1: Bands with weights. Yeah. So I drop the weight a little from my usual, add the band in and then I try to I do high rep sets of those every so often to try to give me that little bit extra. Um, but then in terms of combat training, I tend to do three days a week on average, but it's varied. So Wednesday night is uh, the big practice around in Nutley, New Jersey. So I drive from Queens all the way out there and back every Wednesday, and that's where you get a lot of the high-end fighters in this area. So at these practices you're actually fighting as if it was a tournament. Like they're I mean they don't it's not in a tournament format, but you'd be like, Oh hey, Evan, what's up? You wanna pick up, do a couple sets real quick? And maybe fight each other six, seven times. Take a break, grab someone else, hey Joe, you wanna swing for a little while? Cool. Uh and just try to get in as many as I can. And then Fridays, uh I usually meet with my knight and we get together and we'll do what's called pell work. Um, some people put a 4x4 four four post in the ground about 2 feet, have it stick out about 6, perhaps some carpet around it, and they practice their sword strikes on that. Um, what we use is he actually has super old heavy bag things, near indestructible, hanging in his garage. And it doesn't matter if it's summertime or wintertime, we have on sweatpants, T-shirt, and a sweatshirt. Close the garage, close the windows, so that way it's like a sweatshop in there to build heat endurance and we practice our strikes. Um, now, he's considered to be the best of the best, and he doesn't use a lot of fancy things, no trick shots, bare-bone basics, you know, basic strike to the head, strike to the torso, strike to the leg, strike to the offside head, uh, and the offside head will come at a higher angle and a slight lower angle, and we throw in sets of 25, Four sets to the head, four sets to the torso, four sets to the leg, four sets to the offside head, uh, four sets of a quick, deep offside, flip back over to an onside head shot. Um, and in between every one of those, we also do a shot, uh, 25 left-handed shots, uh, using our left arm in case we decide to fight two-sword. So when all is said and done, with a sword that's about seven pounds, we've thrown uh, with the right arm... Over 700 shots, and with the left arm, about another 300 shots. Wow. And we do some drills about what it's like to fight a lefty. So, when fighting a left-handed opponent, because your swords when you line up against each other on the same side, your stance obviously has got to be different. And like any other sport, there's a lot less lefties than righties, so it's rare that you fight them. So they have a natural advantage because they're always fighting righties. So you got to close your guard with the shield instead of it being more on your side. It's more in front of you, and you got to get your leg back a little more. So you got to be more cognizant of what what's happening, where everything's placed, how you're moving, and it's a lot more, like, juking motion. Like, a lot of people, they tend to stand flat-footed, don't move around much, but he very much instills that boxing sense in this. So you're getting a lot of a lot of jukes, a lot of mo- movement. So, you know, he'll never move his sword, but he dips down to so make it look like he's thrown towards a leg, but he springs back up and goes to the complete opposite side, which confuses people, and their guard goes all out of whack and that's where he gets his opening, and he's just lightning quick. So we do that with lefty. We'll take the heavy bag, and we'll push it around like it's a moving opponent, and then you're dancing with the bag with your guard closed like it's a lefty, and you're, you know, juking, jiving, throwing 50 shots in every different location and do three sets of that. So it's a lot. Very tiring, but it builds the endurance. It builds the muscle memory, and it kind of keeps your head thinking about it at all times. And then Sunday's... Um, we meet in the morning, throw the armor on, and we do drill work. So again, with the heavier sword, we throw thirty-five. Well, we run a lap around this park, which is about a, a lap around the track in full armor. And then we pair up, throw thirty-five shots on one, like like medium speed. Just make sure you have a good smooth flow, and then you switch, and the other person throws thirty-five, and you defend. And then we run the straightaway and back. Then we step it up to 45, run the way straightaway and back. Step it up to 50, run the straightaway and back. And then usually we'll have about four or five people there, so then we'll just get in a circle. Then we go around the circle, throwing 20 on each person. And then we run the full way around again. So one actual combat day, one day focusing on just your offense and then another day doing very slow work but very detailed with your offense and your defense to really drive in the fundamentals. And that's basically what he preaches. If you're fundamentally sound and you can master the basics, there's no reason why you can't succeed all the time. If your defense is perfectly tight and you're never surprised, never out of position, and you just stick to the basics but master them so well, and uh, works for him. He's had a reign of dominance for 22 years, just about. Now, yeah. um,
0: I'm going to back up a little because I loved a lot. So I, when I asked that question, I had no idea how you were going to answer it. And I loved a lot of the things you said. You know, the fact that you're still including cardio seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, if you're running around with all this armor on and swinging, you know, I think, you know, that's a huge advantage over someone who would not be doing cardio. Uh, I love the fact that you're doing strength-specific work, like weight training, because, you know, if you can develop that strength and that power in the muscles, it'll make your strikes more effective. And then I love that you have, you know, three different very sports-specific days that all have a slightly different focus. And, um, you know, when you're talking about building reps, I mean, that's, that's what I preach for OCR, right? Like, I mean, I... When I train for OCR, I, I still do weights a lot of the times. But what I do is I take like atomic climbing holds, these rig grips, and I replace mm-hmm. like the pulley machine with a rig grip. Right, so my hand is in the same position it would be in if I was grabbing a rig, you know. So awesome. yeah, so people look at me in the gym like I'm crazy all the time. It's it's I'm just used <laughs> to it by now. But like, but I'll you know bent over single arm bent over rows. Right, I'll take a loop of fabric and a rig hold and hook it onto the dumbbell, and now I'm doing. I have my hand in a very Sports specific movement, but I'm still building that strength and I'm, you know, keeping the weights heavy. So it's, it's getting progressive. So it gets better. It gets harder as I get better type stuff. So, um, loved your answer. And one of the other reasons I brought you on the podcast and one of the things I like about this is, you know, I think OCR is a relatively new sport, but fitness Mm -hmm. and improvement is old. So you can essentially take the model that someone else has, steal it and just apply it to obstacle course racing. And okay. when I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago at a, like a family gathering that you came through, um, you said, you know, your mentor or the guy who's been teaching you, and we've mentioned it a couple of times already on the podcast was a Muay Thai kickboxer. And he took essentially that and applied it to, you know, armored combat. Um, so you can, just, can you explain that a little bit more or talk about that maybe a little bit more?
1: All right. So obviously with any martial arts form, there's, So many different styles. Um, And he, when he first started, claims he always told me this, and I finally found people that have been around long enough that backed it up. He was terrible. He was god awful when he started. And he doesn't like to not be good at anything. Um, So he already had the Muay Thai background. And something somebody told him finally kind of, like, struck a nerve with him. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I like what this guy's doing. I like what this guy's doing. But... I don't move that way. This is how I know how to do something, and they're both combat related. So let me see if I can make this work. So he's got that same stance, um, like if he's a more Thai fighter, with that one, his you know right leg since he's a right, he's back a little bit more, has that boxing style, guards up like that, and our how we stand with our sword and our shield is literally how we would be standing if we were we were boxing. That the arm positioning is almost exactly the same, so it really it lent itself very well because then that body mechanics of how you're throwing a shot, you know, when you're when you're boxing, if your right arm's coming out, you're not twisting your whole torso and then putting your left arm out of the waist. So you're open to be hit. You're still keeping that left arm right in front of you so you can block anything that's coming in. So having that fundamental of of understanding core mechanics, body mechanics of of how to generate power and how to always keep your guard present. So that way you're never leaving yourself open. It, it made sense for me to transition into this and it's, uh, it's generated a, a whole lot of success for him throughout the years. Um, there's other guys who have a more purely boxing style or, um, like one of my friends, he, he fights with his left leg back, even though he's a righty, um, cause it changes his, his shot range, but his, shield style is a little different his shield he holds straight out in front of him it's a center grip so it's just taking a body mechanic that he was comfortable with which made him excel at at this chosen sport I mean that made sense
0: yeah no that was good and you know it sounds very martial arts based obviously because you're hitting each other and standing squaring off against your opponent there are different levels like you know Martial arts has a black belt and, you know, I think the Americanized system now has like, you know, whatever half a dozen or so belts leading up to that. Is there something like that in armored combat?
1: Yes. So um, because we are historical in nature, uh, with a large amount of the people focusing on the, from the dark ages to the middle ages and Europe in general, uh, when you first come in, obviously you have no real experience um, the knights are the pinnacle Of what you're trying to achieve and, I mean, So they'll Usually take someone under their wing And make them a man-at-arms thing And show them the basics And then uh, eventually that individual will squire you Now from there There's two awards that you can receive Before knighthood One is the silver tiger um, and, and the awards are based on the kingdom So they'll be called Something different somewhere else But it's just they'll have their equivalent for the same two steps before knighthood. So in this area, they call the silver tiger. Um, you know, if you want to call that whatever the first belt up is from a white belt, call it that, I guess. Um, saying, hey, you know, you're doing good, you're, you're learning, like, you're coming along nicely. And then uh, as you're getting closer to knighthood, they give you something called the OTC, which stands for the Order of the Tiger's Combatant. Um, and that's saying, hey, you're really on the right track, you keep going. You know, the way you're going, you're going to get a knighthood eventually. Um, so I'm currently in OTC. I got mine, wow, about a year and a half ago. year was just June of 2017. I started late. I joined this current group and took it seriously. November of 2015, I won my hero champion fight in August 16. So then they gave it to me in June 17. Yeah.
0: So how much more time do you think? You know, if you assuming you're healthy and continue progressing as planned, how much more do you think it would be before you got knighthood?
1: Um, my knight says not long. Uh, unfortunately for me, you know, work kind of got in my way a bit. uh, Besides the injuries and. Uh, as I was making my comeback this fall, I got the concussion, which kind of sidelined me. Um, so by my night's nice projection, uh, I'll get back to fighting with my new helmet in mid-January. Uh if I could do well again at that month tournament, which is one where I took fifth, uh, win a few other tournaments that are next year, and get a hero champion spot and win it again, probably by the end of next year.
0: Oh, nice. Now, it sounds. We already made a lot of comparisons with uh, martial arts, but, you know, talk me through your mindset going into a lot of these matches, whether it be one on one or in a large group setting.
1: Well, as a large group setting, for me, there was kind of a natural, because I played group sports most of my life. I played rugby, cross football. So for that, it's always reassuring having somebody next to you, because especially when you're on the same page as them, because if you're having a bad day, they could pick you up and they could elevate you and bring you back up. So for me, that was was pretty natural. Um, Just always knowing that your teammates got your your back. Um, And my night, uh, we fight together all the time in the large events. We actually have, since we are a historical group, uh, we have our own crusading order called the Order St. Adrian. We're a unit of about 12 guys, but we drill together all the time. So out in the field, it's it's like second nature. Uh, brain goes off, and we just do what we do best. Um, single combat, it actually took a little while for me. Even though I had some initial success, um, it took a little while for me to really develop a good head for it. And, I mean, like I said, I've been back in this three years now, taking it seriously. And I don't think I really de- developed that head till after I had my success, I had some failures, and that's because... When I first came in, it was new, it was exciting, it was fun. I kind of had something to prove, so I had like a little bit of an edge chip on my shoulder, and I just went out there and I did it. But then as I started to get recognition and, you know, I started to kind of feel who I was, I think I took it a little too lightly because I was just having fun. Um, Which is something to be said for having fun in your chosen sport, but you have to remember, remember; it's still an athletic competition. You still have to keep your edge, and, and I kind of lost that. And so I, I recently come to realize: like, yes, you want to have fun, but you're out there to push yourself to see what you can do. And obviously, you want to exert your dominance. Like you want to you want to be the best. So to do that, you also have to maintain that serious edge, um, but be comfortable and relaxed at the same time. And it took me a little while to develop that, but I kind of realized that. once I started doing that again, you know, because I I went from a point where I was meeting people without a problem to I was losing the people I shouldn't have because I just wasn't, I didn't have that edge anymore. Um. So yeah, I, I've kind of kind of realized that. And the next tournament I, I stepped in, which is um this past September, I only had maybe three weeks of practice in me. And I managed to make it to the top four. because um, that day just clicked. It's like, Oh, wait a second. This is fun, but also I got this. You know, this is serious. This is business. This is you know, I came here to do well, I didn't come here to just goof off and go home. So
0: Gotcha. Yeah, if you want to read a great book or audio book on Mindset, there's a book called How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald and he goes through a bunch of like case studies from, you know, probably a half a dozen or more different sports of you know, things that worked and things that didn't work. And um, one of the, I actually listened to the book if I have a big race coming up. So I've listened to it probably like four times in the last couple of years, or at least parts of it. And one of the things I really liked about it and I used it this year was, you know, sometimes you go into like a a competition or an event and you kind of wish for, or you're hoping it's going to be more of an easier victory then you know, it will come a little more naturally. But instead, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go into the event with the mindset of like, I'm going super deep into the pain cave, or I'm going to push it, and I—it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt, you know. But I'm going to go deeper than other people can. You know, it leads to more success. And you know, I was definitely using that mindset this year, and I had a very good year for me for obstacle course racing. So, um, yeah, just kind of sharing that little story. All right. Um, let's see what else we got here. So. I mean, I know you don't know – you've never done an obstacle course race, correct? Nope, never have. All right. Well, we probably need to get you to one at some point. But um, – no. So let's go with one thing that you could take away from your sport or, you know, it doesn't have to be an armored combat or just any of your sporting history that you think uh, can be applied to other sports in general, um, such as obstacle course racing.
1: Uh, um. I guess the mindset that I, I just recently learned, um, I mean, it, just knowing that, yes, you do this for fun, but, yes, you do this at a serious competitive event and just keeping your yourself in that, that zone. I mean, I really like what you just said about what Fitzgerald said, and, you know, it really kind of resonates with what I just kind of stumbled ac- across myself and that. It's that, okay, fun is pushing yourself into that pain zone fun is pushing yourself harder fun is getting yourself to that point where you want to be where you want to be achieving and succeeding and not that it's all about winning but it's all about pushing yourself to achieve and you know you're doing this for a reason so that is your idea of fun so you know don't just be comfortable resting on your laurels always push for that next step and you'll enjoy whatever your chosen sport is that much more
0: yeah, I strongly concur. So at the this this might not come out for a while, but at the end of November, I actually this morning as of recording this, so was this November twenty eighth. I put a post up of me post event at like you know eight different events, and probably a half of them are wins. Some of them are like almost disasters, right? Like I almost lost my belt, which is essentially, it's your signature for completing all the obstacles. And I came in 10th, other ones I came in like 15th. But in all the pictures, I look physically exhausted. And it like, that almost means more to me than like the win, right? Like the fact that I pushed myself to that edge and, you know, sometimes beyond it and overcame what I was coming through or, you know, sometimes didn't hit the goal place when I was going for, but I still kind of pushed my boundaries, it uh, was definitely rewarding and definitely one of like when I look through those pictures like it gives me a lot of personal pride um, kind of scrolling through those so if any of you want to see those pictures you can go back and scroll through my Instagram feed there's some pretty good ones on there and one of the other things you said was you know you're talking about that team aspect I've got an article coming out on mud run guide about why you should join an OCR team but yeah the there's an, one of the pictures in that in that feed is from the North American obstacle course racing championships. And I'm just, it's, it was a very short course. I mean, I was racing for maybe, uh, like 17 minutes and I look like I'm just fucking done, like completely exhausted. And I was able to push a little bit deeper because it's a relay. So my team is relying on me. So it's no longer about myself. It's about supporting and doing this for other people and allows me to, you know, dig a, just a, just that tiny bit deeper into your physical capability so like what you said there too cool so what else do you want the world to know about armored combat because not well known i think the history channel or something had a show on it at one point a couple years ago
1: uh i believe so uh, we've been featuring a few other random news stations and things throughout the years um i mean basically i can say it's a hell of a lot of fun it's for everyone you don't have to be you know and as a genetic athlete, a lot of, there's a lot of guys that do this that are very successful that they weren't athletes and they turned themselves into athletes because they love that they did that much. You know, it's, it's one part athleticism, one part practice and one part, uh, the mental aspect and any one of those can make up for the other. So if anyone has a curiosity in it, check it out, go do it. It's, it's a very rewarding hobby. I'll call it a hobby. I mean, it's really not. It's, it takes up a lot more than that, but. <laughs> It's, it's, so it's a very rewarding sport. So where can, uh, I, I know you
0: mentioned it. a web one website already. Um, where can people go to find out more or how do they get involved if they are interested in pursuing this?
1: So the sca.org will be the website for the parent organization. And uh, then depending on where you live, there will be the different ones. The one I know off the top of my head is because I live in this area, it's eastkingdom.org, that's E-A-S-T-K-I-N-G-D-O-M.org. Um and those that website will direct you to uh, every little thing like where practices are, where events are, uh, people to get in contact with uh, so if you're a new member. Um, and the SCA.org one will have ones that will redirect you to your local area and then there'll be a slew of helpful information on there. Also, if you're on Facebook um, and you type in the SCA or East Kingdom, if you're from the Midlandic regions, the Al- Alania uh, there's 16 different kingdoms all, all together. Almost everyone also has their Facebook. Every kingdom has their Facebook page up there, so it'll help you find a lot of useful information on there as well. Got it. And YouTube. YouTube. There's a ton of YouTube videos of the fighting. If you, if you look up SEA Heavy Combat, Penzik uh, Penzik Heroic Champions, I'm on there somewhere. There's a couple of me out there. Sweet.
0: We'll have to find some of those and share it to the Strength and Speed Facebook page when this uh, when this goes up. Sounds good. Now, one of the things that's, before we get going, one of the things that's unique about you is you've known me for mm, over 20 years. It's been a long time, right? So you knew me way back in high school and before I started obstacle course racing, before I started any endurance sports, before, you know, I deployed to all these combat zones and all that stuff, like you knew me in high school and I try to tell people that I wasn't that athletic growing up and I don't think people really get it, like they don't. It's hard to explain like who I, you know, how I've kind of slowly changed over the last uh 20 plus years. So, you know, I'm kind of may regret this, but I'm kind of leave it open. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know, feel free to explain to people what I was like in high school or um I don't know if you have any stories you want to share and that maybe I need to edit it out, but yeah. So, I'm just <laughs> going to kind of open it up for you.
1: Well, uh I guess, I mean, we we're, we we're both fairly nerdy kids. I mean, comics, you used to, I mean, you still love Green Lantern, but I mean, we also used to be at your house playing Contra on the old school Nintendo all the time. And then you could take it a step further and that we both also acted in the, uh, plays at school, but you also did the musicals. So, I mean, a couple of things that your, your average athlete wouldn't be doing.
0: Yeah, would would you say anyone in high school would have described me as an athlete?
1: Negative. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Super smart, yes. Uh, theater theater productions, yes. Athlete, no.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we, I did do cross country in high school, and I was terrible, and I didn't like running, which is somewhat running. ironic now, because um, I voluntarily... <laughs> yeah, it's fun running now. Yeah, it is fun running
1: now, so difference, a different type of doing other things to keep you
0: active. That is true. I actually I, – I do not like going back to straight ultra – short runs, so marathon and below, I don't mind. Uh, going back to like straight ultra running, I just find incredibly boring. So uh, yeah. But ultra OCR, so running and climbing over things, I love. It's just a different – it involves a little more – one, it's a more of a full-body workout and two – it turns into a little more of a tough factor, right? So like at some point most people end up walking. You know, 99.9 percent of the field is walking. So it turns into yeah. who's willing to not quit, and there's uh, I'm pretty good at that, so nice. yeah. Cool. So before we let you go, any uh, final shout outs you want to give to friends, family, sponsors, uh, your night, etc?
1: Well, we have no sponsors but definitely my knight he's uh, been an inspiration and the reason why I've actually taken this so seriously we struck up pretty good friendship through this uh, become a big part of my life and yeah he's definitely elevated my game from just run of the mill you know part of the pack to one of the guys that's definitely out there getting noticed so so big thank you to him
0: awesome well Steve it was great having you on if
1: Thank
0: you. yeah, if um, I got some more articles coming out. I'm not sure when I'm gonna publish this, but check Mud Run Guide or check my Facebook page. Got a lot of good content coming out for you. Uh, depending on when this comes out, Strength and Speed Development Team applications are open for those of you who want to take o- start taking OCR a little more seriously and want some free advice and some other free perks. Uh, you can check that out on the TeamStrengthSpeed.com website. And then other than that. If you don't have a copy of my book, Strength and Speed Guide to Elite Obstacle Course Racing, I would pick that up also off the online store in the uh, Strength and Speed website. All right. I think that about wraps it up. Um, I will see you soon when I come back for Christmas. So I'll catch up with you later, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Take care.
1: Thank you.